Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Your Book Garden Radio, a copyrighted show presented by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Tina Susetic, your host. After a few days of cold, rainy weather, and um, honestly, there was snow farther up north, um, today is another gorgeous day. Um, today, I am thrilled to have one of my favorite authors, Linda Lael Miller, on my show. If I can, I would love to take just a few minutes to be a fangirl here. Um, I'm sure if I ever had the pleasure of meeting Linda, I would make a fool out of myself um, in my excitement to, to meet one of my favorite authors. Um, I'm not sure how many books of Linda's I have read, but I don't think there's one that I haven't enjoyed. Um, and many of them, especially the Westerns, are on my um, keeper shelf. I even had a friend who bought the Westerns for her father to read, and he enjoyed them. So, okay, fangirl over. Without further ado, let me introduce Linda. The, the daughter of a town marshal, Linda is a number one New York Times and U.S. Today bestselling author of more than 100 historical and, and contemporary novels, most of which reflect her love of the West. Raised in Northport, Washington, Linda pursued her wanderlust living in London and Arizona and tra traveling the world before returning to the state of her birth to settle down on a spacious pro property outside Spokane. Long a passionate Civil War buff, Linda has studied the era avidly for almost 30 years. She has read literally hundreds of books on the subject, exploring numerous battlegrounds, and made many visits to her favorite, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where she has witnessed reenactments of the legendary clash between North and South. Linda explores that turbulent time in The Yankee Widow, a May 7, 2019 Mirror Books hardcover, which is also available in digital, digital and audio. Uh, welcome, Linda. Well, thanks, Tina. I'm glad to be here. Um, first of all, tell us a little bit more. I'm sorry. Go on. I'm sorry. You go on. What um, were you going to say? I'm terrible about that. Well, <laughs> I, you know, it's hard when you're on the phone because you can't see that someone's starting to talk. It happens, right. happens all the time. Yeah. Um, first of all, besides what I just read here, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been writing since I was about 10 years old, and uh, that was when somebody told me. Up until then, I wanted to be either an astronaut or a movie star, and I figured that I didn't have the look to be a movie star, and you had to know math to be an um, astronaut, so that was out. And uh, But I loved to read, and so I, when I found out they paid people to do that, that it could actually be a job, then I pretty much made up my mind and started writing stories when I was 10. And I wrote a whole novel when I was 15, and I wish, I, I wish I'd kept it. It was in, like, 26 spiral notebooks, and it was all handwritten. And it was all wow. totally just, yeah. Debbie Maycumber and I found it once during a, when we, I was packing for a move or unpacking, and I read some of it to her, and we laughed for like ten minutes. It was really bad, but I always thought I should say, I should have saved that to read at you know when I give a speech to aspiring writers, then I could read that and say who who wrote this? You know, do you think there's any hope for them? Because <laughs> they, they probably would have said no. Um, I'm an animal lover, and I'm into container gardening and orchids, so that's you know probably more than you want to know. Oh. The People always like to, you know, learn about authors and, you know, they kind of sometimes have this idea, this lofty idea that, you know, we live these glamorous lives and, you know, but they like to find out that, yeah, they love to garden, they love animals, you know, they 
say silly things. They they start out writing off awfully, if you could say it that way. Um, what do they call them? The the books that should stay under the bed or something like that. Oh yeah, there's a lot of those. Um, you know, once I. I had the privilege of having lunch with the late Jack Callens, and he told me that he'd written numerous books, but they were all under his bed. And he said he was hoping they'd have little baby books. <laughs> He's quite a character. <laughs> well, I know, and sometimes people ask me, well, how many books have you, you know, you written? It's like, well, written or published, because it's two different things. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's a tricky question to answer, because there's the one you're working on now, and the one you're planning and, you know, the ones that are in copy edit. And I mean, it's, there's so many um, steps to the process that that's kind of a hard question to answer. Yeah, it's, um, it is a, it is a tough one. And uh, I was uh, interviewing somebody a while back and when you mentioned, you know, the book that's in your head and um, she said that a friend of hers, cause you know, you, you, you get excited about the book you are thinking about and you're tired of the one you're working on mm-hmm. and the one you've edited on you've read it 16 times and and uh, yeah. her friend calls the book that you're thinking about the book affair because you're in love with the next one <laughs> and you're sick of the one good, that's a good analogy yeah it really that's the appealing one the one you don't have to sit your butt down in the chair and actually work on you know you can just make occasional notes and 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 pretend you're working but <laughs> No, uh, but actually, I'm usually embroiled in the one I'm writing. I you have to be so engaged to do anything of that magnitude. So when people ask me what which is the favorite of all my books, I always say it's the one I'm working on right now because that's the one where I'm engaged. You know, I'm in there living with those characters uh, every day. I try to I I try to go inside the story you know, because I want to take the reader there. So in order to do that, I have to go in myself. And that's great unless there's a three-day ugly battle going on in the in the story. You know, and Gettysburg was truly, truly uh, horrific. I mean, the whole Civil yeah. War was horrific, but Gettysburg was especially so. It was very brutal. And so that, you know, you get inside those things, and it's, it's not all... Um, joy and you know cartoon bluebirds it's it's some of it's pretty grim i you know some of the people that write that course suspense you know and i like to read or listen to that but i don't think i could uh, write it it's just so dark i wouldn't want to spend that long in the company of a psychopath you know so (laughs) we're all in the the niche where we belong but anyway i digress Um, but i do that a lot um, I had a thought when you're talking about your favorite, you know, which book is your your favorite. Um, do you, I mean, you've written over a hundred books. Do you remember your first ones? Do you do you have to go back yeah, and kind so of refresh your memory? That's, that's a lot of books. Yeah. The first one I sold, uh, yeah, it's actually uh, it's probably pushing two hundred by now. It's a lot of books. Oh wow! But I've been I've been at this for I've been published since 1983, so. And I was uh, I've been around a while, but my first book, um, Fletcher's Woman, is still in print, and that was a really special book to me. Uh, so yeah, I remember that one well, and and you know some of the early ones, but then there are others where you get into the middle where I've done all those cowboy series where there's three brothers or three cousins or you know three aliens, <laughs> whatever, three things to work, 
uh, I can sometimes I get the story if I'm trying to remember what happened in which book, you know, I I can with very few uh exceptions I get mixed up because it's you know well, that, it, but my readers often is it's funny cuz my readers know better than I do sometimes and they'll straighten me out. No, no, that was that was so and so, you know, and I love that. <laughs> Um, somebody else I interviewed kind of said the same thing. If she can't remember a character's name, she will ask her fans. And she goes, they always know. She goes, rather than going back yeah, and, yeah. you know, you know, trying to, you know, trying well, to figure it out. And, and, yeah, we can go find the manuscript and, and do a search. And, you know, um, usually there's some tag word that you can find what you're looking for. But I do that too. And I couldn't tell you, I would get back about 10 years and, I probably couldn't tell you which names went with which series, you know, so uh, <laughs> unless the title well, gave some. There were so many well, McKetricks, for instance. There were like 15 McKetrick books. So keeping, yeah. um, I remember the original three, but keeping everybody else straight is a real trick. So to use any any kind of, um, besides your fans, um, I use an Excel spreadsheet to keep, try to keep track of my characters that went in, you know, which, which books. Do you do anything like that? To, I mean, cause you know, I need lot, to I try mean, that. <laughs> what I do is I just yeah. write them on post-it notes and stuff. And I am like, I only have a right brain. I don't have a left. So they disappear, you know, and, and I actually asked my assistant to find out who, you know, what their name was. And she asked because I pay her. But, yeah, well, and, I, I need to do that. An Excel spreadsheet would be, especially in a series, you know, you, I, I, and this, this series, starting with Yankee Widow, this is a series. There are three books uh, in this um, series. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, you have to have, like, a Bible or something uh, to yeah. consult. Otherwise, you're going to be in big trouble. So, yeah, I do, but it's, it's really a little bit um, more casual than, than an Excel sheet. But having watched, um, I subscribed to that app. It's called, Ma- <clears throat> excuse me, Masterclass. And there are all these writers and cooks and photographers. It's really cool. But anyway, I took the course um, that James Patterson gave, and it was excellent. And that man, you know, his outlines are 50 pages long. He does, uh, you know, he'll work for a month on the outline, but and I've always been some, I like to fly by the seat of my pants, but you know, you, that gets pretty scary when you're just a few chapters in and you don't know what's going to happen uh, <laughs> next. That can cause a burnout big time. So I guess I could do that when I was younger, but now I need to know a whole lot more about the direction. And of course you're still as a writer yourself, you know that your an outline isn't chiseled in stone. You're still going to be able to change things. In fact, it's inevitable uh, my characters, you know, kind of take on a life of their own and, and have their own ideas about stuff. And sometimes I have to argue with them. <laughs> you know, they, they'll take it off in a direction that I wasn't planning on. But on the other hand, sometimes it's a whole new and better direction. So it's a judgment call, I guess, with every single page. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of a, a a pantser, and then you know I get to a point. At one of the books I was working on, it was um, all of a sudden the 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 female character, my heroine, was abducted, and I was like, well, oh, now what do I do? You didn't see that coming. Yeah. Well, that's did what not, I'm talking not, about. You know, 
Yeah, yeah, no, but then you've got all the all the ramifications of that to deal with. And what's really bad is when it happens in the revisions, and you know, sometimes you just have to say, "I can't go down that road. I'll have to do it in the next book." You know, and I've done that with characters where I promised them a book of their own if they'd leave me be. You know, and <laughs> let me write the one I'm working on. Because they do test me. They're very, very real to me. I'm, I'm really not schizophrenic, but um, my characters are so real to me that I, I feel like I might meet them on the street, you know, in the grocery store, at Walmart, or wherever. Are there any that you would not want to meet? <laughs> well, the, it, yeah, I don't, mostly villains, but, you know, with I've done romance for years, you know, you have... Um, uh, show conflict, but you know, not usually any really bad villain. Like, but in the Civil War book, there was a, a man, um, Yankee Widow is what I'm talking about. There was a man called a bummer, and that's what they called uh, on both sides um, soldiers that had deserted or were just plain crooked. And they were basically opportunists. And there's one that um, he's, you know, he's picking through. A, a wounded man's pockets in his rucksack and stuff, and I wouldn't want to meet somebody like that. Bad enough to, you know, meet the enemy with a bayonet in his hand, but you know, just that kind of thing. Uh, and that, of course, with a book like that, you you do have villains. You know, you have slave hunters and all that stuff. So, yeah, it it's a little more um, more graphic. I wouldn't want to meet any of those people. They really are pretty rude. <laughs> Well, and to, you know, and to think about, you know, they would pick over bodies that had been laying for days. And it, it's just like you really have to have. Yeah, it's pretty. It's you really have to be. Take their boots. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, you're on a you know, battlefield. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I Go know. ahead. Be, just being there would be beyond what most of modern people could tolerate. We're talking about open latrines for 10,000 men. I, to me, oh. it's a miracle that everybody didn't die of typhoid and cholera, you know. Let, and most people, yeah. two-thirds of the fatalities in the Civil War were from sepsis uh, and, you know, infection in the wounds because they hadn't really discovered that they ought to wash their hands and stuff. And over in Germany and Austria, they always seemed to be a little ahead of the game with that. And they were starting to wash their hands and sterilized instruments and stuff but you know how when something new comes up like that and to them it was new and they're just they kind of poo-pooed it like it was just you know too much trouble so if you picture these field hospitals with these god-awful crude instruments and and no sanitation and you know the doctor might have horse manure on his boots you know if if indeed he was a doctor a lot of them weren't actual doctors so it it was real grim, and uh, and that was hard to write about at times, you know, because I do, I get inside the story. I go right in there, and I and I live in there, and you know, <laughs> like one night I'm lying in bed, and all of a sudden um, it's a rainy night, and I'm in uh, Robert E. Lee's camp, you know, and I and I can see the horses going through the mud puddles. I see the general ride by. And I said, General Lee, you're going to have to get these men out of here because I have to sleep, you know. So now that I've said that, everybody's <laughs> going to think I'm crazy. But that's how vivid it is to me. Uh, I live it. So it's exhausting well, and, battles. And, well, you know, and, and you can 
tell that in, in, in reading the book. In fact, um, you know, one of the things I was going to talk about is how your descriptions are so vivid. You know, I felt like I was right beside Caroline. We're, we're going to be talking about the Yankee widow now um, and the other characters in the book. And, um, you, you know, and the, the emotions of the characters really brought a lot of emotions to me. I mean, I, I was, you know, I was sad at the loss of Caroline's husband mm-hmm. and feared during the Battle of Gettysburg, and I worried about the secret. I don't want to give, you know, too much away. Um, yeah, we you know, and, and, yeah. And, and anger that, you know, family members and best friends were fighting on either side. And, uh, was, you know, uh, and then... It was an incredible, incredibly difficult time. But, you know, today's political climate worries me a lot uh, because we haven't been this divided since since that time and we need to just stop shouting each other down and remember that we're all Americans and it's not about who's right about some issue you know we have we have serious things and we need to uh that we're all facing and we need to team up and work together and not stop all this you know saber saber rattling and stuff and and it's just not a good sign when that happens it's not healthy yeah i i i agree wholeheartedly um, did you visit, well, one of the things that, you know, I've thought about, cause I'm actually editing a book for a friend and part of it is during the civil war, excuse me. Um, oh no, I just lost my train of thought. Oh dear. Um, oh, it's just, I am well, sorry. It's just, this talk it's, on it and maybe it'll come back to you. I did. Oh, I said, were you going to ask about uh, Gettysburg or? Uh, the value of actually being in those places is tremendous uh, for me, uh, you know, so I can go there in my head. And you know from my um, Robert E. Lee story how vivid it is to me. <laughs> real, yeah. Um, I, the question was, you know, um, you read a lot about the battles and stuff, but you don't really read a lot about the the people that lived there and lived through it and what it was like mm-hmm. and you know and the bombs exploding and you know how afraid oh, these people God. were and you would yeah it, imagine you know, having a war in your in cannon fire in your cornfield or your cow pasture and not just at Gettysburg but all over the um, the war theaters they had that and that was what I wanted to do Tina was um, there are a lot of good good books about um, the generals, you know, and, and the ranking mm-hmm. officers. And, and I have great respect for those novels, but I wanted to write about the ordinary people, especially the women and how on earth you cope. Because from the very first time I went to Gettysburg, and of course I read a lot about it too, but I wondered how, because most of the men were away fighting for the union. So you had old, very old men or sick men or little boys. That was it. So the women, basically, um, the North came back in after the victory and set up more hospitals and helped out. But in those first few days, it was the women of Gettysburg. They buried thousands of bodies. You know, they used uh, teams, plow horses to to haul the mules and, and horses, God bless them, that had been killed in the battle because of the um, the threat of disease was just tremendous. But, of course, they had so many uh, bodies to bury, thousands of them. And so they had shallow graves because they were trying to – they knew they'd be dug up again and try to 
they'd try to sort through them and send them to wherever they came from, you know. And they did a lot of that. But in right after the battle, you just can't leave them laying there, like you were saying earlier. No. So they had buried them on the 4th of July, I think it was, which is the day after the the last battle. It started to rain, or, you know, maybe it was the 5th. But it rained and washed away. So most of those, then the graves were open again. It was just oh. incredible. And imagine having, you know, thousands of of hungry teenage boys, because that's basically what you're dealing with here, coming through your orchards and your corn and, you know, what do you eat the next winter? It wasn't like uh, they couldn't go to Costco, you know, if if something happened, if the, the crop was written down, which some people did that just to be ornery, you know, and um, yeah. they'd steal chickens, they took fences apart to make firewood, and you imagine that many hungry, fired-up teenage boys, and it's sobering. Mm. So, um, But Caroline, I wanted her to represent the women who, who cope. They didn't want to take this thing on. They just were confronted with it. But um, due to the, you know, the tremendous resilience of the human spirit, they just took hold and did what was there to be done. And I wanted to celebrate that, the ordinary people you know, that, that had to cope. And that was on both sides. Not, I, I wrote about the North, but I may well write about the South at some point, but um, I just find it fascinating. It's horrifying, but for some reason, the whole subject of the civil war has fascinated me for years. And I just, I don't know (laughs) where that came from, but I, I guess the, the central question I always ask, and I, Obviously, we know that the issues from history that, you know, but you still have to ask, how could this happen? You know, it's straight out of the apocalyptic stuff in the Bible, you know, nation against nation and brother against brother. And it was a very, it was just by today's standards, it was horrific. You know, imagine walking in, of course, the Confederate boys, they didn't come, they didn't show up in neat, tidy gray uniforms like they might have on the Disney Channel. You know, they they came in what they were wearing in the field. They had a squirrel gun, you know, and you go to get, I don't know if you've been there or not, but you can be like up on Little Round Top, which is a a hill, well, it's a Round Top hill, but the the, uh, Yankees were holding that, and the Confederates tried to take it. They didn't succeed, but because they were coming up that hill, with squirrel guns and stuff just, and they were picking them off, you know, uh, from the top, which, you know, just makes, it's like shooting from a tree or something. Uh, it, it was just crazy, but it was the last of the wars, um, where they, where they met in battle lines like that, you know, that was a bad idea. You know, and like you said, a lot of them were, teenagers they were they were young and and one of the things when I read when I read the Yankee widow was you know her her you know the children you know they weren't that weren't old enough to go fight but the children that were I'm sorry well I was just going to say there were kids as young as nine and ten who were drummer boys and they traveled with the troops you know so they were technically soldiers and certainly in as much danger 
as anybody yeah. else. Uh, it was it was just an incredible thing, and the suffering was so great on both sides that, you know, obviously, uh, had I been there, I would have supported the the union cause because the the reasons for that are obvious. You know, you can't condone slavery, but primarily, too, uh, the very important issue was not to sunder the country into into bleeding parts <laughs> because what would yeah. have happened is we would have had a whole lot of little countries like in Europe. And so when the, um, when the Second World War, for instance, came along, we would have been in no position to stand with the Allies. And, you know, really, um, so the ramifications of that go, you know, a long ways into the future. This, you know, to, to break, break up the Union 87 years after such a high price had been paid to win it, you know, I, I yeah. never could have countenanced that. But then yeah. not, even not all Southerners, General Lee himself didn't favor slavery or succession. He did own slaves, but that was kind of by accident because he inherited them from his wife's father, you know, and he, he freed them. Uh, but he was a little busy fighting a war. So, but he did free them <laughs> when he got the opportunity. So it's, it's um, not cut and dried is my point. You know, every Southerner was not defending slavery more often uh, because that was just the rich planters that, you know, the the people with big plantations and that um, cared that much about slavery. The average Southern person felt that they were being invaded and, you know, their home, they were defending their farms and their towns. And, you know, it wasn't uh, for most of, of the regular people, it wasn't about slavery. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, when I, when I, you know, when I, when I mentioned the children, I was thinking about, you know, the, the children that were, you know, at home and, you know, how, you know, living through, you know, bombs and I mean, and they saw the bodies Mm -hmm. and, you know, how that affected them as they got, they got older, you know, I mean, talk about PTSD. Oh yeah. Carolyn's four-year-old daughter, you know, um, Mm -hmm. heard the cannon fire because you could hear it as far away as Philadelphia from from all the way from Gettysburg. It was that loud. So it would have been ear-splitting. Yeah. Terrifying. And then then after where we have the hospital scene and there's men, dying men in her yard, men in terrible pain, you know, and and this child, and fortunately she grows up in, in is the heroine of the third book. So we'll find out how much oh, okay. it affected her. But she's, okay. tough. <laughs> she's tough like her mother. Her mother was really, I, I just admire Carolyn so much. Yeah. You know, she, yeah. wow. You know, but, but she was meant to represent a certain level of women, just, you know, regular women that went to church on Sunday and, and grew vegetables. And, you know, their life was, was hard anyway. Everything to, to just survive you work from dawn till dusk so add to that your young husband has gone away and then of course is mortally wounded and you're um and you're you've got to keep things going whether in caroline's case it was a farm <clears throat> but there were plenty of people who had to keep um, um a, a general store going or a hotel or a you know whatever the family business was 
And it's just that farming was so prevalent in those days. But uh, they talk about courage. You know, I, I probably would be in a fetal position in the back of the closet. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, they're doing well, and surgery in my backyard. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, despite what was going on around them, I think the women were trying to keep some sort of normalcy, especially for their children. They you know, which do. had to have been you know, incredibly like hard. I like to make the mess and women clean it up. And, and it's oh, yeah. been true of the, <laughs> from the very, from the revolution where they were rolling bandages and knitting socks. And, and if they had a lot of soldiers would have been without socks, you know, I mean, and Caroline and her crew, there really was the Ladies' Aid Society. And I think, I don't know if it's still in existence now, <clears throat> but when I was a young uh, whippersnapper, I guess, it was uh, my mother would go to Ladies' Aid meetings. They had tea and cookies, and they just visited mostly. But in Caroline's time, they, oh, my goodness, they made quilts, and they would put up fruit, and they sent food to the front for throughout the war and and you know on railroad on trains and you know imagine that the southern uh, women did it too but they their railroad system was a mess you know and they would have been pretty isolated but I just um, I like to write about people who are in a um, really dire situation and and see what they do you know I would love to think I would be that strong but I I can't imagine it, <laughs> what it must have been. Yeah. Um, and and we, we do have to, you know, mention that there is there is a romance going through this. You know, it, it's, it's yeah. very interesting, and it kind of makes you wonder what is going to happen. Is she going to have a happy ending, and <laughs> who is it going to be with? You know, so it's, it's yeah. not all, well, you know. Happy as it can be with. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. Is, uh, there will um, always be a, a romantic relationship in my books that, it's just that I wanted a broader field. I didn't want to write only about the romance. I wanted to write about the setting and the situation and, you know, and, but yes, there's, I think my uh, romance readers, especially the historical romance readers will make the crossover pretty easily. <clears throat> it's just, it's a longer um, and maybe more intense book, but it definitely has romantic um, uh, elements. Oh, and yeah. I don't think you can really it, write about anything without having some romance in it. It's the human condition, you know. That's how we get yeah. babies, for heaven's sake. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's going to be, it's, it's going to turn up in, in just about every book that, if it has any scope. Yeah, I I agree with you with that. You know, you get some men who say, well, I don't read, you know, romance. And say, well, you know, I, I've read some books by Western authors and, I don't know, there's always some, you know, uh, a, a little theme of romance in there, but, you know, they don't call it that. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you um, know, I do have, you mentioned it in the introduction, I think, but I do have quite a few male readers, and, and uh, a lot of the older men, too, they like a, a good Western. And one of the mm-hmm. nicest compliments I ever uh, received was a man told me, and he must have been in it, you know, in his early 80s, but he told me, um, that he uh, he missed Louis L'Amour, so he read me, and I said, you couldn't pay me a higher compliment than that. And another time I met this man in, in the, he was a member of the Harlequin Book Club, so he could get the books early, 
And this guy had been an ace fighter pilot during the Korean War. So he was, you know, uh, he was all, all man, so to speak. But, you know, then I have tons of, I mean, I love all my readers. I have tons of gay readers, too. Uh, and, you know, so, hey, everybody's welcome. <laughs> yeah. Well, this this is kind of a, a side thing, but it was my brother who got me into reading romance. And um, I was now very pregnant cool. with my son. Well, he, he called me up and he goes, Tina, you have to. This is back in 1975 and or 76. And he says, calls me up and he has five sisters. Why he called me, I don't know. And he says, Tina, you have to read this book. And I'm like, okay. He says, it's really, really good. Well, it was The Flame and the Flower by Kathleen Widowitz. And yeah. so I went out wow. and I bought that it. Was a good book. And, yeah, and I stayed up all night reading it and, you know, I just, I just oh, devoured yeah, it because it was book. like, oh. So I, I called him up and I said, books. oh. Um, I called him up, you know, and I said, okay, yeah, I agree. It's a very good book, but why were you reading this? And he goes, well, um, he goes, I was stuck in the bathroom longer than I thought I'd be, and the only thing to read was his <laughs> wife's book on the floor. <laughs> oh, oh, my so, goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, I think so we were going to try it. I, I think that's great, and I, I mean, I loved it that this ace fighter pilot had, you know, liked to read uh, my books, and he, you know, because he showed up in an autographic, and he had a book that wasn't even out yet. It was like a week or something, and he said, well, I'm in the Harlequin Book Club, so I get him early, and I thought that was the cutest dang thing that I'd heard <laughs> in a long time. So I just, lo- I love that. I love to meet my readers and uh God bless them. Yeah. <laughs> Where would we be without them? Um, I oh want to bring goodness. up. But you, I'd probably write anyway. I did that for years, writing basically for the sake of writing. So I guess if you average my what I make now out over all those years, it probably isn't that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all the time I, I wrote unpaid, you know. Um, I know I said I, I met somebody the other day, and um, I don't know if buying something for a basket for a book event I'm going to. And, and, um, and I said, I was an author and she's like, Oh, wow. And, and, you know, and I gave her my card and stuff. She was all excited. And, and um, she said, do you love to write? And I said, I have to, I don't make any money off of it. <laughs> so <laughs> she just laughed. I, I love when you're at an autographing and somebody will come up to you and, and smile beatifically and say, I love Danielle Steele, you know, and you're like, and, oh, you know, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, fun. it's funny. People say the coolest things, you know. It's yeah. it's all grist for by mill. Sometimes it ends up in a book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, be careful what you say or do around an author because you never know. Um, have <laughs> yeah. you have you besides um, Gettysburg? Um, what other um, uh, sites have you visited? Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, Battle sites goodness. have you visited? Most of uh, most of them, I've, I've been at Petersburg, Vicksburg, uh, Manassas, which was uh, the Union called it Bull Run, and the uh, South called it Manassas. And some people say they called it First Manassas, but they wouldn't have known that there was going to be a second Manassas, <laughs> so they only referred oh. to it, you know, in later years as First Manassas. But this is what's confusing because the, oftentimes the Confederates would have one name for the place and, and the uh, Union would have another name. The Union tended to 
to name battles after the site, like Bull Run is a is a creek. Um, Antietam is a creek. It's a creek or a pretty wide creek, but uh, so you have to. It can get confusing, you know, <laughs> where you have to double check a lot because you could be talking about the same battle. And Civil War buffs know their they know their stuff. So heaven help you if you have a battle like that that you know you duplicate a battle. So, uh, but anyway, then the, the the Confederates would name a battle after the place, hence Manassas, Vicksburg, you know, and both of them called it Gettysburg. But you know, they, oh yeah, there were. You know, it it's astounding when you first. Go like on the first time I kind of covered the waterfront was was a bus tour and people were stunned. We'd go back to Manassas every night and stay at La Quinta or something, uh, and people were amazed by that. But the fact is that they had to walk or ride on horseback to to go anywhere. So you know this was um, this was realistic. They and in a car, you know. Uh, you can cover yeah. it a lot faster than you could as a foot soldier. Yeah. And I think people forget that, you know, like you said, they were mm-hmm. named after where they were taking place. So there were people living, you know, in Gettysburg and yeah. you know, living in all these, yeah. you know, Vicksburg and all these, all these places. We just think of the battlefields mm-hmm. themselves. And it's like, yeah, they were in, the battles were in people's backyards. I, let me ask oh, you this. What was your, I, 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 I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm waiting for your question. You go ahead. I'm, oh, I'm trying to learn okay. not to interrupt people. <laughs> oh, you know, it's it's hard because, like I said earlier, because we can't see each other, you know. Um, I've been to Andersonville, yes. and I've been to Antietam. And the interesting thing about Antietam, and I'm wondering what, you know, what your reaction was, is when I was there with my mother and my two kids, and they were fairly young men, and it was so quiet and so mm-hmm. eerie mm-hmm. and all my yeah. pictures before there turned out, and all my pictures after turned out, but none of my pictures of Antietam turned out, which is really kind of ooh, you know. Yeah, there there are a lot of stories like that about uh, a lot of things that would be hard to under um, explain. Uh, you know, every every site has its reported ghosts, but some of the reports are pretty credible. You know, there's always the the woo-woo factor, but there are in uh, some credible uh, things, and I think my this is just my theory, but I think it's an inter interdimensional thing. I think that everything is happening right now. That we think time is linear, but it's really as Einstein and all those people said, it's it's of a piece. It's all one, and so I think if you maybe see a Civil War ghost. For instance, he's going to be a surprise to see you. As and and I yeah. think it's just a leak in in that veil. And you know, ask uh, Loretta Lynn. You know, she's famous for the uh, constant. Her her house was a, I think it was a Confederate uh, headquarters during the war, and hmm. they have consistently seen soldiers coming down the stairs, and you know, they hear them riding up and. Uh, and I think rather than anything spooky that it's we just don't understand the phenomenon yet. And I think it that it's all happening at once and so there's that, you know, once in a while there's a, a leak. <laughs> all right, you yeah. know, that's just my theory. I could be all wet. But there's too many uh, you know, there's a lot of stupid 
ghost stories, but there are also some that are are credible. They're not everybody that tells those is a wild-eyed maniac, you know, and they saw something. And I, for one, would like to know what the heck it was. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah. Did did you get that same reaction at Antietam, that, that it was just so... I, I, uh, I did. I remember that feeling. <clears throat> didn't have this thing with the pictures. What seems to be a dichotomy to me is when I go to Gettysburg, and I, I've lost count eight or nine times at least, I feel this sense of peace there. And that of all things to have that horrendous battle, because that, uh, another thing I truly believe in, and I think this is quantum physics, but I believe in energy, and I think it stays. If it's really powerful, yeah. it stays for a while. And uh, I think, you know, it might be centuries before places like Ground Zero in New York and, uh, you know, but as strangely, Gettysburg doesn't strike me that way. And I I hmm. think there's been so much accord there that, you know, the Confederates were buried. They tried to separate them because they knew they'd want to um, come and get them. But they were, sep- you know, they were separate, but not, you know, out in the unsacred ground or whatever. They, you know, they were in the general area. And the attitude, you know, seemed to be that they were Americans. Of course, there are a lot of Quakers in Pennsylvania, and that would be the Quaker point of view, you know. And it, and mm-hmm. it's true. We were all Americans. Uh, that's yeah. that's the sad thing. Over 600,000 uh, fatalities in that war, and now they're saying it might have been as many as a million. Wow. So that's just staggering, right, on our own ground. So, but I did have a kind of creepy, I don't think I'd want to camp out at Antietam. You know, you might, I think you might hear some bridal jingling and stuff and, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because as, as, um, as awful as Andersonville was, I didn't get that oh, feeling gosh, there. Yeah. I mean, it was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it was, uh, you know, uh-huh. a, a horrific place, well, but I didn't get that. Andersonville was a terrible place, but. Uh, the thing that has to be remembered is that the Confederate, uh, sure, there were mean Confederate guards, there were mean Union guards, there were mean people in every group. But the fact is that the Confederates were so broke, they were out of supplies, that they didn't deliberately starve these people. They did not have food, you know, and that's different. Yeah. They didn't have it for um, for their foot soldiers or certainly not for their prisoners. So, you know, what we interpret is... Um, but I don't know. I think I haven't been to Andersonville yet, but I've kind of hesitated because I felt like the energy would be pretty sour there, you know, with so much suffering. But, you know, show me yeah, you know, more battlefield. Yeah, it was interesting because I didn't, I didn't yeah. feel that there. We, we just got noticed that, that we've got. Um, but, yeah. Um, well, now I'm going to have I'm going to. I'm going to go and drive oh. drive down there and, and see what see how it feels, you know, because yeah, that um, that interests me very much because I would expect the yeah. energy to be pretty grim there. Well, we have you know, uh, boy, that 45 it, minutes went fast. Um, we have less than a minute to it, go. It, um, I'd love to talk more and more about the the, the, the Civil War because it <laughs> intrigues me. Um, I look forward to reading. Um, more of uh, you know, the series of the Yankee Widow, and um, um, 
yeah, I I would definitely love to have you back on to talk more about it. Um, so oh, thank I you for joining that, me today. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you great. for having me. I uh, enjoyed it tremendously. Thank you. Um, uh, join me again on June 11th when I'll be hosting Jennifer Ryan. Until then, read on, my lovelies.